Yeah, uh, good evening from India. This is Adhivadan from ITP and we are live for another episode of Global Hint. Uh, after a long time, I have been live. So again, thank you so much for all. Uh, we will be discussing about two interesting things. First is about what we call the Jayashankar Doctrine, as was proclaimed in the Atlantic Council in a particular event where External Affairs Minister Dr. Jayashankar was, was actually delivering a statement on the Goldilocks Principle, in 2019. And we are also going to discuss about the US-India 2 plus 2, in which a lot of great developments amidst the so-called noise of uh, certain statements of the leaders from both India and US have come. So to begin this discussion, we have three panelists. We have Akshok from ORF, we have Krishnan, defense analyst and specialist, and we have Rishabh from NMIS. So uh, to start this discussion right away, the context has been that uh, this week for the Indo-Pacific and Indo-US relations has been quite interesting. People say it was tumultuous. Some people say, oh, you know what? It was not good. Some people say it was just as excellent. The Quad will flourish. While we have also seen some developments regarding AUKUS, where the AUKUS members have been calling on Japan to join the security pact. So uh, let's start the discussion by the question which I'm going to ask, which I would like to ask to Akshob. Uh, so uh, we see that there's a lot of noise, right? And uh, amidst the noise which have which came in because uh, Secretary Bill Blinken, Secretary of State Blinken from the United States and our external affairs minister from India made certain statements about human rights issues. And we know how that goes along, right? Uh, how do you see the trajectory of the US-India relationship in that case? And uh, maybe also, maybe Krishnan can get, give a follow-up when I ask him this question. And I would like to add this question for you. Uh, in terms of defense relationship between the in, in between the, uh, of us and the US, how has the relationship become better? And how will these two plus two talks uh, go ahead? Because we also know that uh, I think uh, the two plus two talks have continued after 1.5 years because of a delay due to COVID and all, as we know. Right. So how do you see it? Yeah, thank you so much for having me this morning, uh, evening, your time. Uh, let me start with the second question first. I think uh, that's been nuanced at it, right? And a lot of the research I've done in the last few weeks points to one thing, right? Like there's a lot of these statements that go about in trying to find the method and the madness of India's abstention. And one of the more easier notes to say is that, oh, it's because India has a legacy and a partnership with Russia. Um, yes, but that's not true. That's only looking at uh, a simple superficial tagline. You have to understand it. It's in the 75 years of India's independent history. The, for the first 50 years, there was no U.S., right? There was no defense back to the U.S. Uh, you have to go into it a little further to understand why uh, for fundamentally India was not a security ally, India was not a treaty ally. Um, the United States and Islam, Washington and Islamabad did have a security pact, which is why their uh, military prowess is more F-16s and India's is more MiGs and Sukhois, just, just superficially. Um, you have sort of uh, look at the fact that after Smiling Buddha of 74 and then Pokhran test of 98, there were sanctions imposed and India was not part of CTBT or NPT, did not come on to any of those. So from those Clinton era sanctions to a little over under a decade later, you have the nuclear deal. And it's only in 2001, the Bush administration waived back all the nuclear sanctions, um, you know, had the NSSP uh, uh, of 2004, uh, the nuclear deal announced in 05, um, 
uh, ratified in 2006 and signed in 2007, uh, really fructified by India. That's, that was a seminal point where India and the United States became strategic partners, more than just diplomatic bonhomie. There were always diplomatic relations uh, that hit another little bit during Nixon and there are a little bit during the Robin Rafael term of the first uh, administration, administration uh, in the 90s. But that's when India and the U.S. really became close. So it's so it not like there was this over-reliance on Russia. Just for the for, for 50 years, as Secretary Blinken also said, there was no United States. Uh, and we can go back into history, which we don't want to too much, but from Dulles Eisenhower to Nixon Kissinger to realize where the low points um, on, the, on any bonhomie were. Of course, India was also strategically auto autonomy, and that was a language that in the Western world, particularly the Washington, never understood at a time of a Cold War, a great block power competition where it was either, you know, one block or the other. So no one really knew where they stood. Um, so let's 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 put that into context, right? Um, uh, so I, I think that was the second question first. And I think since then, you've kind of seen if you do like for like comparisons, you, you've seen, uh, you know, say, uh, you know, more Blackhawks being bought in place of Russian Kamovs. You see more uh, M16 uh, Sigur uh, rifles coming in in place of Kalashnikovs, right? I mean, so like for like comparisons, the defense partnership with the United States is going up. Uh, and then the U.S. since 2018 have had uh, this is the fourth two plus two, the first with the Biden administration. India and Russia have also started, but that's because India maintains its partnerships; so it doesn't eradicate them completely. But it, you know, but the partnership with the United States has gone so much further. And uh, just to answer your first question for uh, now and just very briefly is. Uh, fundamentally, look, there will always be hiccups in every relationship because two democracies have their own way of operating. India is not a treaty ally or a strategic ally. Um, there'll be lockstep on major issues such as, you know, the, the Indo-Pacific and the larger framework. Uh, there'll be difference in approaches. Both India and the United States have condemned the violence in Ukraine and called for secession of violence. But of course, the United States is a driving force in the Western-led sanctions and uh, Moscow the forever adversary in some ways, whereas for New Delhi, that's not so much so. Uh, and, and and lastly, that's kind of, I think the, the administration understood it. The comments will come from the Hill, but like I said, the administration will understand it. The press will have their own comments as well. So these are mere distractions, whereas the long-term perspective is fine. It's like there's, there's symptoms of something, but the symptoms is anesthesia. But the long-term thing is anesthesia required to cure something much major. So that's where I'll leave it at. Okay. So, uh, Krishnan, I have a question for you. And you can take up the question which I had asked uh, Akshob. So let's talk about defense more uh, before we talk about the Jashankar doctrine and the Goldilocks principle. Uh, so what do you get out of the defense talks which have happened? And uh, I, I remember you had uh, uh, elaborated about the, the way Secretary Blinken understands the Indian counterparts. So uh, how do you see the role of the Biden administration right now as far as the talks have happened in the realm of defense because you understand that and I'm sure you'd be happy to elaborate. Thanks, Abhi. Uh, so, uh, so I think uh, the way uh, I look at it is uh, the Biden administration has uh, kind of outsourced its India relationship to the State Department is how I see it largely. Uh, this is not a relationship that is driven from the Department of Defense. I mean, like, not out of Pentagon. Um, if you look at many of the U.S. relationships, the Pentagon would play a more uh, major role uh, in the way because part of the reason is the U.S. is used to its uh, alliance framework where the military plays a significant part in its uh, relationship with them. 
but india is india's but the relationship with india is quite different right like uh, we are not really we do not have a, a article 5 nato kind of a, a relationship with the us so the pentagon takes a back seat and usually the state department uh, kind of uh, leads from the front and specifically in the biden administration it has been much more true that uh, this this is a relationship that is being led from the state department rather than even from the white house that's how i see it uh, the white house seems to be much more concerned about its own domestic issues uh, about uh, projecting the power of uh, biden and harris uh, both domestically and abroad and kind of more embroiled in europe i mean it, it it's getting distracted so um, that's the way i would put it in terms of the overall relationship under the biden administration so as long as uh, well i think i'm just repeating what i said yesterday on twitter as long as uh, anthony blinken has a significant clout within the white house and be able to kind of uh, talk down others uh, within the biden administration i think uh, we are pretty safe and uh, uh, sanctions is definitely not on the table as far as i could see uh, with regards to uh, the defense relationship um, specifically i think uh, secretary austin mentioned about the space uh, situation awareness uh, agreement i think that is kind of a, a framework uh it is it's going to form as the stepping stone for something which is much larger uh these uh, uh space situation awareness is not a, a simple uh frame uh, a simple agreement that is that the us does with everything because it is not just about information sharing i think there is a lot of uh, capability sharing that's going to happen um and it is also going to form the basis just like how lemova or beka or comcasa is i think uh, we should be looking at the space cooperation at the same level as what we are seeing with regards to lemova and beka uh what was your other question again sorry yes so i had asked akshob about the defense relationship and i think you have already elaborated on that so i think uh, I think yeah if you wish to add yeah, something sure. you can do it quickly yeah. yeah yeah so i think uh from the way i look at it uh secretary austin as a secretary of defense uh he seems to be a much more uh kind of a bureaucrat rather than as a leader uh he seems to be someone who just wants to keep the uh office running as is rather than take any special initiatives bring his own kind of uh, character into the pentagon that's what uh, i am able to see i mean this is not just with regards to india but as a whole uh, across the world i haven't seen any i haven't seen any special initiatives coming from him with regards to kind of like uh, uh, the way i saw out of jim mattis or any of his predecessors uh, even chuck hagel i would say was more proactive as a secretary of defense so i think all secretary austin wanted out of this in india us relationship defense relationship was to like uh, do not disturb the apple cart right just when it is progressing keep it steady let it progress that's the kind of uh, message that i saw from him so largely it was about like uh, uh, you know consolidating all the previous gains that india and uh, us had made and uh, one of the major things that the uh, unmanned aerial vehicles the air launched unmanned aerial vehicles that had that was also signed during secretary austin's uh, uh tenure so it seems like he he does want to put some degree of substance and not just do talk and talk and just do sales 
so in that sense, it is good. And he also spoke about the complex, the increasing complexity of exercises and the new kind of uh, exercises in cyber and space domain. So those are something really new and that's going to be like extraordinarily useful for India uh, in terms of learning. We may not be able to learn completely from the US because these are obviously these happen at a very uh, polished and uh, a very basic level. But we would be able to understand the mindset of the Americans and it's up, then it's up to us to kind of take it forward internally within uh, our own uh, government setup as to how we tackle. So as far as I see, we are in third gear and we are just uh, moving ahead with either in third gear or fourth gear. Yeah, as far as uh, technology partnership is concerned in hard power contexts, as far as we have explained, I think uh, it depends on how would India maneuver further. Okay, so let me get to Rishabh now. So uh, I know that I am asking about shared values, but I'm only asking about from a pragmatic aspect because I uh, remember that uh, we have been discussing about this on Twitter, on threads and so, so forth. And I like the threads by both Rishabh and Krishna, very interesting. And I decided that, you know what, so I'm discussing the, the essence of the threads. So Rishabh, my question to you is, although we know that, you know, the leaders and their statements are usually sometimes overhyped or, or, and even magnified in the case of what happened with Blinken and Jashankar, um, as far as the big term is con con uh, concerned, which is shared values, do you think that such statements made by them made made any sense as far as what statements were made by Dr. Jashankar in Harvard University, where he talked about India as a civilization state and, you know, other things of accountability and so, so forth. Uh, and also by Secretary Blinken, I think that, uh, as Krishnan stated, Secretary Blinken has been very, uh, very cooperative with the Indian counterparts in fostering the Indo-US relationship. And it's a very State Department-led thing rather than a more President Biden-led thing in my view. But anyways, yeah, you go on. Yeah, no, um, thank you first of all for inviting me. It's good to join October and Krishan. Um, I see, I think uh, my views on this are actually not in, uh, I mean, I don't think uh, there are some people think that this is something, uh, this is a view which kind of puts me at odds with whatever Krishnan and Akshob said before, but I, I don't think that necessarily true. Uh, I totally agree, for example, that, you know, these kind of, uh, especially the two, two plus two summit, etc. Uh, you see leaders, you know, coming together, kind of steadying the board, so to speak. Uh, I mean, if you look at the joint statement, uh, you see, for example, oh. they emphasize on the fact that, you know, that yes, global order is still, you know, based on certain principles, etc. And they condemn the civilian killings, etc. So basically emphasizing on the convergence bit and if you look at for example the indo-pacific right sheet that came a few few weeks ago or for example what has been said what krishnan pointed out in his own uh, uh what he wrote yesterday on twitter uh that there is been for example a good amount of at least in terms of rhetoric uh, uh commitment in terms of co-development etc something that you know we've seen uh United States being a little hesitant about when it comes to defense and security. In fact, which is, of course, one of the reasons why uh, in many of these instances, uh, our relationship with uh, defense relationship with uh, America has not been uh, as uh, strong as we would like or developed as quickly as we would like. So having said all that, I mean, uh, it's, it's true that uh, ultimately these things or these small issues or, or divergences 
will not uh, torpedo the relationship or you know be fatal to any relationship this is a kind of like a back and forth which akshop said that will happen when you know in between two democracies and people have also pointed out about you know this is just playing to the galleries you know domestic audiences etc etc but my point is not uh, not that uh, these uh, things are uh, supposedly uh, are going to be fatal to the relationship my point is that it is not good that we dismiss them uh, so easily by just saying every time that you know you know all these things will happen but you know we are moving ahead third gear fourth gear whatever right my point is that you know it is from an indian perspective an important thing to study uh, in a more nuanced fashion as to when it is coming and how it is coming right and in what context it is being used at so if you look at for example the uh, the statement which antony blinken said again some people said that this is just nothing i would disagree and again you can actually have this opinion that yes it was uh, not a small deal so to speak or not a distraction so to say but it was something that indian government or indian officials did actually you know keep a track of and did respond to by the way later on when you know he had jayshank mr jayshankar had his own his own press conference so i think first of all i think a lot of people missed out on this particular detail that blinken or anti blinken again he's very pro india whatever and you know he has you know very good or he has a lot of weight in the state department etc whatever that i understand all that that's fine i'm not questioning that the point is that despite you know the state uh, the 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 wider administration knowing that this is going to be uh, this this particular event is going to be under the scanner right the fact that it's going to be very magnified as you said right is precisely the reason why you know some in india would look at it and say why did he for example mention something like we are monitoring not just human rights abuses but also specifically government officials and you know prison officials and police personnel etc and remember this was not in this was not a uh, a uh, 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 in response to a question that was asked by a journalist which is normally the case right the journalist asks the questions and they say something and that becomes the headlines right uh, this was something that he said it in his prepared statement and again if you remember closely like the last time you know uh, the first time when blinken visited after the biden administration took place uh, to power uh, he came to india and the message was very subtle uh, there was this growing idea that you know uh, united states would not publicly at least come out with some strong statements etc all these discussions will have on a very mutual uh, basis in private settings now that of course was something that they uh, did not choose choose to do this time around so it it is important to nonetheless even though you think that it's not important or we are focusing too much on all these things it is nonetheless important to actually analyze from an indian point of view about how they chose to do it and when they chose to do it right publicly at least so i mean if if people are saying for example that you know uh, why or or we are we are focusing too much on all these things these are just you know noise etc i mean that's exactly the point that is why you do not make it such a you know you you know for example that the media is going to look at all these things and amplify these things this is how media always does they are not going to talk about what what austin says about space cooperation etc etc because especially i mean remember this these kind of summits especially after such a tense kind of a situation or tense kind of a period in the relationship this was all about optics because there is there were very little tangibles to be delivered right this was about staying on message etc 
and because it was that kind of a kind of a uh, meeting where you were coming out with certain commitments you were kind of you know showing it to the world that here we are there's a reason why we are here etc the fact that you you know brought these things in such a different manner that of course will raise eyebrows and you know there is no reason for you to dismiss it right you can acknowledge that there has been a progress in the relationship or there is a kind of a, a recommitment so to speak or reaffirming of the relationship while also acknowledging that these things uh, exist and something which you know again people have to realize uh, is important from an indian perspective uh, yes it does not matter in the larger scheme of things but again see you have to remember that you have to see that the mainstream media is always going to focus like this on on these things yes the elders are in charge etc etc but from an indian perspective it's it's also very important that these issues do get highlighted or are not entirely cornered because you see for example that how the public reacted had an impact on how the entire indian political class also uh, uh, perceived the issue right i mean the the fact that there was a bipartisan consensus on this right also kind of sends message to not just the us but other countries about what are india's intention and how india or the indian government in general is going to have a view about all these things right so it is important because you know in in terms of uh, it demonstrates to other countries that you know rather than you know this uh, you, these kind of things embarrassing the government you you know these kind of things may backfire so it may not be the right way to approach uh to to persuade uh, an indian government or any government or any official right so basically it's it's a good in terms of it, it's, it's something which is good in terms of signaling etc right uh it says that you basically don't cross a certain line you know things may go you know back and forth so it was a, a good thing in that sense i would say uh, uh, and also uh, just to i think uh, end here see public opinion and domestic signaling people are right like some of this rhetoric whether it is done from the indian side or whether it is done from the american side they are of course you know you know happen they happen of course uh, not at the cost of the relationship but again you have to remember that they do matter in some way or the other uh, we should not discount them of course uh, we should neither overhype them because you know you do get to learn a lot about their system i mean the fact that we are looking at the uh, blinken his role in the state department etc and what drives the relationship you know we we understand their compulsions their domestic compulsions the degree of their compulsions their limitation their view and approach of the world right so a lot of things can be gauged in terms of you know by studying it again hyping it is different by studying it and highlighting it is very different right and again you have to remember that it's also very important because a lot of people like for example uh ashley tellis as well i mean this is not just me saying it uh he says that there is a difference when it comes to you know the uh, you know the response when it when, when it comes to india's response uh, there are mixed feelings in the in the in the, in the us uh, government right in the executive branch there is a more nuanced and intelligent understanding of india's constraints and india's position but then again you on the hill there is a sense of disappointment he actually says that there is this emotive emotive sense of you know feeling let down and that can have small impact on how much you know effort will it take from india side to get certain things done 
or to let certain issues be so to speak right on the legislative or at least on the on the capital hill right and again here your your question about shared values etc is important important because i think i mean if you read uh, shiv shankar's uh, foreign uh, for former foreign secretary shiv shankar menon's article he actually says that you know ultimately this relationship is surviving and you know it's it's going to uh, uh, survive and it's going to basically go forward it's it, because of the fact that we've realized that you know there is something which goes beyond these rhetoric about shared shared values etc those are important right but again you have to understand uh, how how do we sell these things at home uh, how do we sell this relationship at home i mean in india right if you ask people why are we getting close to the united states right how has the government of successive governments sold this relationship the immediate answer will be china or anti china kind of a thing right to balance china so to speak now again a lot of these reactions whether it is in different forms different legislative branches or uh, branches of government or in the media etc kind of tells you also from a indian perspective as to you know how they see it how they sell it at home right so that is why there is i think been some sort of a disconnect when it comes to because they have understood that india may not always back the us position or you know be on the same position so to speak when it comes to yeah. values so to speak right so so that yeah. those are the things that which are there which you know we can we can at least not dismiss it entirely which we should focus on yeah. but at least yeah. what is happening and where they are coming from right so that's yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah definitely definitely okay so let's uh, move forward and uh, before we just go ahead just one very interesting infographic i got it so i just would like to share for a minute and then we'll go ahead without any delay so <laughs> Uh, this infographic, when when the viewers can see it, can explain a lot about how the publics in various countries are perceiving the Ukraine-Russia war or conflict as we know it. Uh, so I just wish to show it, and I'm done with it. So I'll move with the second round of questions and discuss about certain aspects of the relationship in a quick form. So. I'll start with Rishabh, and Rishabh, I I'd expect that if you can be a little brief in this, mm. uh, uh, I think uh, okay. So I'll take this question in the end because I think uh, it's about the principle itself. So um, Akshay, I'll back, come back to you now. So we are seeing uh, that the developments in Ukraine, as far as the conflict is concerned, uh, there are certain middle powers, right? The countries who have joined the Abraham Accords and also the Indo-Abrahamic Accord, as we know it. uh and even india these are like emerging middle powers they are gaining their own stakes they are having their own partnership with other countries uh the saudis have also announced certain partnerships with the chinese recently uh, which has got controversial uh some minor uh, minor disagreements are of course are there from the from the side of the saudis and even we are seeing that uh relationships have transformed so some people argue uh and i've read this article recently that uh, the quad could benefit from the indo-russian ties from a transactional pov point of view uh do you really think so and if yes and no or however how do you see it yeah i read that article as well and i i don't fully agree with that fundamentally because 
uh, you have to understand this in a couple of contexts. One is there's a pre-2020, pre-Galwan Valley view, whereas uh, Indian foreign policy always saw themselves as them being the placating force. That is, India and BRICS prevents it from looking anti-US, and India in Quad prevents it looking anti-China. Of course, China has sort of changed the Overton window on that, and kind of uh, post-Galwan Valley clashes, it looks a little more... Um, the, the Quad, uh, well, obviously far, far, far from any sort of uh, security pact or a security-led uh, forces, uh, still has a very elephant in the room being the dragon, right? There's a lot of ways of naming China without naming China, such as uh, free and open Indo-Pacific or rules-based national order, freedom from coercion, four democracies. These are all very China-specific focuses. Um, it helps India in some ways to have its, uh, you know, uh, keep its door open. I don't think it helps Quad as such. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a very tenuous link by saying, well, if it helps India, it helps a Quad because that means India's economy is more robust. Ergo, the Quad is more robust. Um, yes, but no. Uh, fundamentally, because uh, while yeah, like as you know, while India itself is a very energy import-driven uh, market, 84% of you know, India's commodities, uh, in, in, you know, India boats for 84% of the energy, but of course, less than one to 2% from Russia as the foreign minister, as well as statistics reveal. Um, what India is concerned about, of course, as oil prices go up, is the balance of payments crisis. This is sort of uh, hesitations of economic history as well. You remember 1991, what people remember about the liberalization, economic, uh, liberalization, uh, privatization, and globalization models of the economic reforms was uh, there was a balance of payments crisis that, that that pushed India to do it, right? There was a push factor as well. Um, and that's because the Gulf War happened in 1991, and even till today, India gets most of its oil from Iraq, you know, followed by Saudi Arabia and UAE, and then the United States over Russia. So, um, and also in 2013, when uh, oil prices shot up as well, India's the rupee crashed against the dollar severely because uh, the current account deficit just ballooned. So there is that concern. Um, and of course, you know, Jen Psaki and the White House and, and of course the administration have made it clear that it does not behoove India to increase their uh, economic imports. But of course, even if India does increase any of the energy imports, it's mostly for energy security and not to counter Western sanctions. So I don't think that it helps because fundamentally, even as geographic, you already revealed, Japan and Australia are very much US security allies and have uh, been more uh, vehement and excoriating uh, Moscow for its uh, unchecked aggression. So I, I, I would I would say that article misses the forest for the trees on a lot of aspects. Uh, where I would say that um, you know if at all it would help the Quad a little more is the fact that uh, you know and we're going to see the Quad's second summit on May twenty fourth, uh, four principles meeting, the second summit as well is um, narrowly defining more focus, because the Quad's focus is still firmly Indo-Pacific, right? And we know the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov is not the Indo-Pacific. So while, of course, you, you can't ignore the elephant in the room, which is the crisis in Ukraine, uh, but of course, if the focus of the Quad is more a uh, world globalist in nature, it's also more region specific. So I think that would have the quad more. So I don't, I see, yes, India's energy security and it's uh, um, and a robust economically empowered India will have the quad, but I, I don't see that fundamentally because, um, and I think where it would have the quad more is um, what the administration has done right now. And don't forget, India and Japan are going to have the two plus two uh, model as well. Uh, Scott Morrison and Prime Minister Modi had a um, a virtual summit before the quad as well and depends on the australian elections there'll be another engagement so i uh, i think as long as there's breathing room for individual partners to do as they to do as they conduct the external affairs uh i think that's where it'll help the quad so that's sort of uh, the long and short answer of it uh great i'll just then move on to krishnan so krishnan you can uh if you have some additional views on what akshav and rishabh have said you can 
add that up, of course, in this response. But I have a question on AUKUS. So Japan has been asked by uh, the members of the AUKUS to join their security pact. And there is a sense of logic that, you know what, there's a Taiwan issue which will come in up. There's a South China Sea issue. And uh, the whole Pacific region, the Far East. Of course, the role of Japan as a U.S. ally, maybe it could therefore make sense for the Japanese to join AUKUS. Uh, while some argue that maybe for them, uh, the Quad might lose its relevance, right? Although, of course, we know that the Quad is not necessarily a hard power block. It has a lot of other things to do, which is already going on. And yeah, some of them have their own pitfalls too. So how do you see this development? Do you think that the Quad has its relevance or losing is its relevance or not? How do you see it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... I'd like to split that, split the whole context into two parts. So there is a zero sum aspect to it, and then there is a positive sum aspect to it. So uh, focusing on the positive sum aspect first, uh, I believe the emergence of a new security pact in the Indo-Pacific region that almost specifically focus on China as the primary adversary kind of helps India because it, at least at the at the bare bones, it reaffirms that both Australia, the UK, and the US are pretty much clear that China is going to be their primary adversary, right? So at least we've got that cleared. And uh, I think the talk of G2, which I myself made uh, probably a couple of weeks back, uh, might be subdued by the fact that they are now looking at a security pact with Australia, right? So, uh, and I'm taking it in the under the assumption that uh, Jap Japan may still not join the AUKUS. Um, this is about the positive aspect of it. So because it comes from a very deep level of trust, and as some would definitely call it, uh, it's a civilizational thing. It's an Anglo-Saxon thing. The UK, US, and Australia, uh, they, do sh they, do see a they do have a sense of shared destiny as to where they all want to be. And uh, India being not part of that vision is kind of, I think, given uh, those of us who were thinking that the us does see india as a part of destiny from a peer perspective are probably still delusional and uh, those who are looking for such a kind of cooperation uh, i think that's never going to happen uh, so in that sense i think AUKUS kind of reaffirms uh, the uh, fact that there is going to be a security grouping that is going to focus on China uh, in the Western Pacific and uh, kind of the Southern Indian Ocean, uh, the ASEAN side of things. But there's also a zero-sum aspect to it, and uh, we definitely can't deny that. Uh, let us say, like, if China is the primary, I mean, it's not if China is the primary concern for many of the issues that's going on in the Indo-Pacific, whether it is South China Sea or whether it is all the debt traps around going around in the Indo, uh, in the Indo-Pacific region, or whether it is related to the kind of militarization that we are seeing from China. Like recently, they signed a base deal with uh, what Solomon Islands. So uh, all these things kind of uh, uh, come into play, right? So in that aspect, the the presumption with which Quad was started uh, in 2017 was to talk more overtly and more substantially and objectively on containing China's belligerence in the Indian Ocean region with 
a significant aspect of military component involved in it by military component i do not mean a, like a standoff for a war but in terms of cooperation in terms of training etc etc but then for a variety of reasons uh for calculations that had happened in new delhi significant part of it is because of that and due to some hesitations that has happened in dc as well as in canberra i think people all the three nations have come to the conclusion that they will not be able to make a larger bet on china uh, i mean against china in the form of quad so everyone individually had started hedging against each other so to kind of like come back to the original point it means that uh if there is going to be a more objective and a more direct discussion on china's threat in future when china raises these stakes in the indo pacific i think the discussions are going to happen within an aucus framework first and then later in the quad rather than it happening in the quad because whenever there is going to be a military dimension that that is going to get in i think the both us and australia are going to talk more in the aucus framework rather than in a quad framework although there might be feelings feelers sent out to both india and japan as to how do you want maybe there would be some background discussions going on but the more a more confident and more proactive uh how do i put it um like a more decisive uh, move i would expect to first come out of the aucus rather than from the quad when it comes to a military response so that is the zero sum aspect that i see in that aspect the quad might see a reduced relevance in terms of military aspect but will continue to provide kind of being the support arm for the whole military aspect that australia and uh, us might do so we might be providing with alternative sources of logistics alternative sources of uh, supply chain uh alternative sources of uh, humanitarian assistance disaster relief building resilient economies and everything all that thing we will do but we will never take up the military word uh, as immediately and as proactively as either the us or australia wants so that's with regards to the aucus um with regards to uh the overall i mean i think i'm just answering couple of uh, previous points that rishabh and uh, akshob made uh i think the us kind of uh, it it is important for us to look at the way the us responds or engages us in a more granular manner rather than like a wholesome manner right we need not look at them as okay so us does this xyz 1 2 3 and therefore its combined picture is this i think we, the us is always used to allowing each of its arms the us state uh whether it is the congressional aspect whether it's the legislative arm or the executive arm or even within the executive arm whether it's the state department or uh the white house uh, it allows a certain degree of individuality for each of these arms to make uh independent uh degree of engagements and independent assessments so it is important for us to kind of compartmentalize each of these and view and then what suits us is probably a comprehensive view and we should probably be taking a comprehensive view but it is important to understand that the us has uh, many aspects to it and each of them can be simultaneously uh, incongruent with each other at the same point of time that's how the us plays it yeah yeah just to add uh, in a few seconds i think uh, of course we have to see how far will the 
manifest destiny thing goes for the US and that's something which we can I think I certainly suggest that a whole dialogue on that can happen to understand uh, US foreign policy in that sense but yeah of course there are some shreds of pragmatism involved so uh, akshobha now getting back to you and this question is the same for krishnan again and then i'll ask krishap about the golden lotus principle so i have a question for you quickly that uh, i've se- i've seen recently that uh, i think beyond reported that uh, certain us policy makers have come to new delhi uh, led by congressman adam smith who is the chairman of the us house committee on arms services uh if i remember correctly i think um, uh, mr smith has been talking about uh the indo us defense cooperation on certain aspects where maybe something more could be bolstered so how do you see that visit do you see that these particular representatives from the us whether senators or you know congressmen and women do you see that their efforts could help to bolster the indo us defense ties as far as the current developments from the 2 plus 2 have been because there have been some uh, very interesting development from these policy makers that time yeah it's called a cordial or short which is short for congressional delegations and my company had the pleasure of uh, organization the pleasure of hosting them and a lot of what we discussed is positive uh, uh, you know a collaboration on the indo pacific and um, you know uh, even though it is um, the house uh, armed services committee but it also touched on pertinent issues for the quad which is uh, vaccine diplomacy um, critical and emerging technologies uh, you know supply chain resiliency and climate action and uh, fundamentally yes at the back of the 2 plus 2 this only further solidifies it because um what's important is not just surface level optics of bilateral ties but the 2 plus 2 what's really significant about 2 plus 2 dialogues is it really gets into the minutia and policy works but of course when you have congressional delegation visiting it kind of branches out because then you have um you know uh, you know you've got a whole uh, uh, various uh, specialist committees looking into pertinent issues and i think as you've seen right now uh, just as we got the news that uh, just just recently that uh, uh, you know india has um, you know uh withdrawn uh you know the tender to purchase 48 russian uh, mi17 v5 helicopters and this is not because just something with the united states but also pushing india's indigenization you know we always touch upon countries military industrial complex and indigenization takes place for the more when a country kind of um become more economically robust in some ways and i think uh it's not just weaning off a russian era legacy era equipment but it's also a true bong approach not just moving into direct united states level of uh, being an import market for us military but also towards indigenization and we know one thing firmly from even while these congressional delegations come and understand that look you know some and i recall you know in one of my conversations with congressman from texas uh, said look it's not just about india moving away from russia it's also about the united states in- incentivizing india to procure more military equipment from uh, the united states but um th- th- if you think about india's strategic align uh, non alignment policies um there will always be a sense of uh, you know splitting the the, the uh, think of it as a mutual fund of military procurement right uh, if not russia supplies around 50% of the equipment france has gone up you know france is india's second highest in terms of military procurement then there's israel of course and there's um, the united states so india will always have an eclectic mix because fundamentally india has also realized that 
too much over over reliance on one set of uh, you know a country's equipment would really help to hurt them as well. In '99, Kargil, what India really points out to its early sense of military, uh, uh, you know, uh, detection was uh, Israeli-style technology that uh, allowed them to see the Northern Light Infantry in the in the, uh, the top heights of Kargil. So look, India will continue, and you've seen right now there's more procurements of Mirage and Rafales. So there will be a sense of um, Multilateral, the, the multilateral approach that India prefers, there'll be a multilateral approach in defense procurement, and why not? Uh, you know, and I think so. Congressional delegation on the back of two plus two further solidifies um, the the growing India-US strategic partnership, uh, the strong bonhomie that exists. But what it also show is that uh, that 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 the umbrage and the IR and India's abstention is fundamentally understood by corridors of where it needs to be understood. Whether individual columnists get it, whether um, you know um, the the press corps gets it, that's different. But policy will always be sacrosanctly held by a few, and those who understand it well have sort of reiterated it. So they never the relationship is just firmly on a strong foot, and it's sort of you know gonna ferment like wine, get better over time. Great, uh, Krishna, would you like to add quickly? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think this congressional delegation is really, really important uh, the way I see it. I initially, when I heard about this, I thought I would just wave away because uh, usually uh, these kind of congressional delegations, uh, they have a set pattern and they know what they are really going to discuss about. But uh, this time, I think it is really important because uh, for one reason, I think I remember this back in 2019 or 2020. Uh, at that time, we... Uh, there was a, a kind of a view from one of the journalists who, I mean, India, Indian journalists who's based in DC. Uh, there was a view that uh, we were not reaching out enough to the congressional side of the US government uh, to kind of uh, make our side of, I mean, our perspectives better uh, heard and uh, better understood by the congressional leadership. So in that sense, uh, uh, the head of the Senate Armed Services Committee kind of coming all the way to India and listening to Indian officials directly, it makes a lot of sense because, see, if you see uh, from an Armed Services Committee perspective, India is definitely not on page one, two, three, or even four or five. It's probably on page six or seven. Uh, usually it is either the Middle East or Europe or Japan or Australia that kind of uh, commands the attention. Usually uh, what the news that reaches a congressional member is from the staff and uh, uh, the various uh, advisors that the that the that uh, these co congressmen have uh, around them. So to kind of short circuit that whole, because much of these staff are young, they do not have policy experience. They usually come from a very highly academic background with very little uh, real world uh, policy making experience. It is really, there is a very high possibility that uh, the Indian perspective is lost in all these aspects. So to kind of be able to have these uh, armed services committee. I think not just the chairman, but there was also uh, the ram ranking member who was also part of the delegation. So in both the sense, I think it's really useful that they were in India because they could hear directly the Indian perspective rather than kind of get filtered through the various uh, staffs. So, uh, but then uh, as uh, Akshob mentioned, uh, the realism hits when India's expectations of uh, Atmanirbharta in Bharat, I mean, in defense, kind of meets the kind of uh, ingrained in blood uh, US uh, trait of trying to sell weapons rather than be able to share technology. So that is a huge friction point that is always going to exist. And that is a gap 
that is not easily going to be met with each other but i hope there is better understanding of how india is going to take it and uh, i think india is going to stand rock solid when it comes to uh, not becoming a just a customer and a client state for us defense products but india's expectation is firmly going to be grounded in uh, indigenous manufacturing and potentially indigenous uh, uh, development or co development so that is a reality i hope the congressional committee takes back and uh, i think that's the message that needs to kind of reach the top so that you know there is politics within the staff and the various uh, dc beltway politics that goes on Con- congressional leaders could be fed with a lot of false truths a lot of ho- false hopes and uh, it's important for them to hear what we really want to say we are two democracies we should be able to talk openly with each other and then like uh, i think from india said we are pretty strong in terms of where we are going to stand and we are not going to budge what the us says so it's really important that we really talk openly and put forward what we are looking for rather than trying to sugarcoat it with uh, kind of like uh, oh we'll just buy more weapons from you okay so uh, really nice to hear so uh, now i'll go to rishab and this is about the jashinka doctrine and i think uh, what we will do is that in the concluding remarks um krishnan and akshob can give their views on because this is something which is related to what we have done as india as uh, we call it bharat natyam diplomacy but i would like to now point out to the jashankar doctrine as that term became viral a bit on social media and that's something which is good also so uh the goldilocks principle which uh, minister jashankar discusses Uh, in 2019 in a meeting at the atlantic council i think minister jashankar had come for the indo us visits i think it was the time of howdy modi if i'm right i think that was the time when he had stated i don't remember exactly but yeah so what he says exactly and i will just summarize it for the viewers is that when he talks about india's relationship with the west from the colonial angle to the post colonial angle and now the proper relationship in a modern world we see uh he states that it's a very interesting relationship that in the cold war era the west never wanted india to be too strong and too weak uh dr jashankar says that the west did not care much about the too strong part they cared much about a too weak part and the complications were very obvious to see how we knew right the india soviet relationship and so forth so now as this relationship transcends it is of course a question as to how will it be dealt with how the indo-russian relationship will stand how the abraham accord countries will deal with their relationship with china russia and other countries who might be con- considered in future and are in some end aspects considered antagonistic to american interests and of course there's a particular sense of understanding around it so a very specific and direct question to your worship is that as you see this particular doctrine being discussed as you see the goldilocks principle as far as this relationship being discussed and we know that we know that india has been making this position very for a long time under dr jashankar also and i think even under late sushma swaraj that uh, india in an emerging multipolar world with a multipolar west as per dr jashankar's words uh, india will uh, adopt in a multi alignment approach which it has adopted it's it's very apparent that it has and the whole churn goes on so 
while the churn goes on in the North Atlantic as the stakeholders at various levels, and I'm not talking about the government and the legislators, but the, the public, the think tanks, people who are still looking at India differently now. They still have to, because of course, as we know that while at the government level, there's a very good relationship going on, there are some stakeholders who have to understand how India looks at its own foreign policy goals. Do you see that what Dr. Jashankar discusses about, that is the Goldilocks principle, and which very infamously becomes, you know what, the doctrine itself. And it's also reflective in the book, The India Way. Do you see it percolating down in reality as far as the MEA is concerned? India just had a very interesting visit in Netherlands. Uh, President Ramnath Kovind had visited Netherlands. Uh, that's also something which we can note. So considering all of this, do you see these aspects, these ideas discussed by our external affairs minister percolating into reality? Because it also resonates with the Prime Minister Modi's vision of uh, Act East and other things. So we have seen his speeches in the past and so forth. How about you? Um, first, I mean, just like to add uh, something which you guys are talking about before uh, about AUKUS, etc. I think, again, as people pointed out earlier, anything which is there in the region which tries to counter China, so to speak, is a bonus for India, right? I mean, in some ways, you know, uh, India should not always look at all these things, uh, whether we are a part of it or whether we're being left out, etc. I think it's a good thing because overall, the main, of course, reason for Quad and everything else uh, is basically uh, to balance China, right? To contain China as much as we can to some extent. So in that sense, that's good. And again, as people pointed out before, you know, bilaterally, I think we are doing uh, or there is a there is progress in terms of defense, the defense relationship. Now, one way I think in which the Goldilocks principle, I think, becomes more relevant today is something that we were discussing just now, which is basically, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, when you say that keeping India in play, but yet also keeping it in check. For example, I mean, the broad, uh, the, the Goldilocks approach, as Mr. Jashankar articulated it, was about you know uh, this this uh, Goldilocks approach to India in terms of you know the the Indian porridge as he as he points out he says you know not too hot not too cold you know needing some effort to you know kind of get it just right right basically saying that in some in some instances uh, uh, especially he he points out that you know during especially the Eisenhower administration uh, there was a worry about India being weak it wasn't just about uh, I mean they also wanted India to be stable enough in the subcontinent it wasn't just you know the concern with india not getting strong right so i think they, that's the balance that he talks about and i think um, he mentions for example the importance of the west and the relationship with the west right uh, in the, you know it, when it comes to all these bigger economies he in fact he mentions for example that you know all these asian countries right all these asian countries have looked at the west and have got and gained a lot of from that relationship especially from the economic perspective he talks about the japan japan overall in in in, in the 19th century he talks about asean in the 1970s or even south korea for example right so he says that you know almost all these impressive growth stories in the last 150 years Right, in especially in in a, a from nation perspective, have had you know participation with the West. So, in that sense, you know he mentions that yes, the West has been you know more receptive in terms of when it comes to developmental goals, etc., helping and aiding a lot of you know uh, uh, growth stories in Asia. But he does say that you know when it comes to industrialization, heavy industrialization, and specifically the defense and security part, the West has been very conservative, right? He, he says this. He says this very you know articulately. He says that you know there has been a tendency to kind of manage our relationship uh, to some extent. And so if you look at this 
Indian this Goldilocks thing. I think it is very important in the defense relationship because here, you know, we would need more commitment. As as Akshay pointed out, that it's not just about India taking a step and moving away from you know the Russian dependency. It's about also other countries like the USA incentivizing India to do so. Right. So so it is about how, for example, uh, you you aid us or you help us to to move away from that dependency. Right. So. that is one right so when it comes to for example sharing a core developing as some somebody says sharing more sensitive technology more advanced system you know having those end uh, user restrictions a bit diluted etc uh, so those are those things are important and here i think the americans will have to make a call that you know whether they just want to arm india enough to you know uh, enough for india to just show its teeth to china and other threats in the region or it you know wants to arm india or help india or aid india and from a defensive perspective uh, uh, where it can actually bite right because remember a lot of uh, the reason why we have such a elaborate uh, relationship defense relationship with russia is not because of the legacy component part but also some very advanced technology which we don't get from anywhere so yes i would say that yes the us has to do more there and i think india is willing to do that and you can see for example from the recent number and the graphs that you showed the graphs that you showed for example Uh, not not this particular graph, but the other graphs that we've talked about before, that there there is an increase of uh, uh, you know India diversifying its defense relationship. Now coming to the Jashankar point, and I just quickly just add here, I think what he's basically, I mean, I mean, yes, it does translate into reality. If you look at, for example, his book, he talks about that you know India has to basically define its interests very clearly. You have to trust your instincts to some extent, right? There has to be some sort of confidence uh, in your nationalist outlook to some extent, and specifically with regards to neighbor. Good policy, he says that you know you have to be generous with some of these countries, especially smaller countries, etc. But you also have to be firm about your red lines, right? So there has to be a mix of generosity and firmness, right? But he does point out by saying that you know India is like China, but it's a little bit different from China in the sense that you know we should not and we do not always harp on uh, a sense of victimhood, so to speak, right? We should not always harken back to this century of uh, you know humiliation, so to speak. Yes, we should have consciousness of what happened to us, etc. But in that sense, you know, we should not have a grudge, and we should not subscribe to this us kind of us versus them kind of philosophy. So he says that you know we have to reconcile this nationalism that we see emerging in India, and kind of reconcile it with you know this global uh, uh, global engagement, and become basically a bridge between. Uh, you know uh, established order so to speak and last point which i will just mention which i think is very crucial and does not get discussed enough is this idea of leverage that he speaks about he says that you know uh, rather than developing the mindset of not uh, only responding but to actually leverage competition is what will define the new india right so that is very important because he says that these cleavages and contradictions that emerge right which some people criticize uh, with regard when it when it comes to indian policy he says this is what makes the possibility of leverage viable right to begin with so i think there is a lot of things that we can talk about here doctrines cannot be discussed in few minutes uh, but i think yes there is a translation and and when it comes to goldilocks principles etc i think uh, you can really point out to the defense relationship and what india and united states can do there uh, a bit more i think there is a lot of potential there and i think we are on the right track thank you Great. So, Akshob and Krishnan, just one minute concluding remarks. Akshob, we'll start with you. Then Krishnan. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. Look, I think fundamentally, this, of course, was a, a test of India's foreign policy in a lot of ways, you know, when people's, when, you know, when, uh, because while forever non-aligned as, you know, we've spoken about India's foreign policy, we've said it's Vasu Vadeva become uh, Global South, all of those uh, objectives have been added. But what, what happened was the Russia changed the Overton window, right? Because let's not forget that uh, you know, in, in the 21st century, Russia invaded like in 1939, and and, and as a result of which, it, it it became a very cantankerous. It became a question of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And of course, I I, I take a lot of umbrage with all these World War II analogies because uh, you know th th that's that's obviously being very uh, uh, intellectually dishonest in some ways. But however, there there was still a lot of case to be made uh, for Russia, and it wasn't just Crimea or registered Donbass. It was you know, a uh, uh, violation of a lot of UN principles. And, and as a result of which India's foreign policy was tested. It was like, how can India continue this diplomatic walk roping? People spoke about India, you know, uh, needing to, uh, you know, eschew from its uh, this, this policy and, you know, this whole thing of if you want to be um, this global leader, what, 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 you know, what is this diplomatic walk roping? But I think what fundamentally India has kind of weathered the storm because there is no foreign policy manual for coming out of this. Uh, but I think India kind of weathered the storm because if you just look at the last two weeks alone, you had Sergei Lavrov, foreign minister visiting, of course, Chinese minister Wang Yi visiting, UK foreign secretary Listras visiting, and two weeks later you have a for, you have a full conference with Secretary of State Tony Blinken. So that is phenomenal because uh, just understanding the gamut, the eclectic mix of different issues discussed and different pernicious uh, um, uh, thorns in, in various things. There's the unsettled LAC issue with China. There is the ongoing issue with uh, Russia, Ukraine, plus talks of repeatable trade and talks of military procurement, plus issues with, uh, you know, with the United States Secretary of State, uh, you know, partly in Russia, Ukraine, other things on Indo-Pacific and Quad and, and larger things. And I think India still being able to do that was phenomenal. Um, I think, however, going forward, what this is going to happen is, uh, by, by history, of, by history of, of evolution, is uh, because the United States now occupies a pantheon in India's, uh, you know, foreign trade and uh, India's uh, commerce and India's technology, sophistication, military equipment, and of course the diaspora story, uh, because there is no Russian dream for the Indian diaspora. The Russian language is not something aspired to. There is that, but of course, because the American dream has just been something transformational i mean that's been there since the 60s but there was never india was never the, the country that it wanted to be or is now or perhaps was going is going to be in the future so i think that eventually there will be more of a, a very very careful word there'll be def not alliance but there'll be more aligned on certain issues uh going forward uh, so i think i'll leave it there for now thank you great yeah uh, yeah, so uh, I'll just summarize the Jayashankar Doctrine as like uh, the Jayashankar Doctrine is all about uh, the laying out a path for India becoming a new pole uh, in the in the global affairs. So what that means is uh, we are not just going to react based on what US, Russia, China does. We are going to stand by our own conviction and we are going to stand by our own principles. and. Uh, it's not like we are just trying to be non-aligned. We are actually set, trying to set the agenda for how we are going to react in the next 20, 30 years. Now, we don't know what the agenda is going to be for the next 20, 30 years. But the message that I am taking out of all the meetings in the past month is that we are not reacting to these powers 
making their moves but we are actually beginning to hold on to our own and we are we are trying to make our own way through this uh, entire mess so that is something that each of these three big countries with which we have engaged are trying to allow us not to do but that is what we are holding on to so whether this will succeed or not i mean as an indian i hope it succeeds and my hope is that it will succeed but there is a lot of challenges ahead before we could say that that's a definitive thing to happen great i think we really had a good discussion and uh, there will be a lot of developments as uh, various world leaders come to india and india reaches out to the world with this we end this episode of global hint i really wish that you would have liked it those who being watched it thank you so much those who watched it live again thank you so much we'll come up with more episodes for igp and till then namo thank you